This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is sponsored by the distinguished gentlemen of Bird Campbell, PA, your Duke-centric law firm. Lawyers by vocation, but Duke grads by the grace of God. Founders and former Duke roommates Jamie Campbell and Tucker Bird say, go Duke or go home. Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 111 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Monday, March 12th, and we are officially in March Madness. We have a packed show. We're going to dive right in. But before we do, I am your host this week. My name is Donald Wine. I am operating this week from my home in Washington, D.C. My peoples are here with me. First from Atlanta, where I was this weekend, uh, Jason Evans. Jason, sorry we couldn't make the link up work this time around, but it's good to have you on, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. It is. I say this every year. It's the best time of year. The month it of really March is. It's our is Christmas. the best time of year. I, I'm so excited. I am ready to pod like crazy. Oh, uh, we're going to pod like crazy, but let me bring in our other man with the plan from Denver, Sam Klein. What's up? Donald, hello. Jason, hello. I need to read everybody an e- a very important email that I just sent a couple minutes ago to Jason and a number of other DBR people. Um, so I guess I, I don't know the entire backstory here. I know that Jason is running some <laughs> oh kind God. of some kind of amateur gambling event with some other DBR guys, and he looped me in to do a like draft order random number generation, which means I ended up on this email thread with him and all these other guys. And the production <laughs> of this of this event involves sending a lot of res- reply all emails which uh, for anybody who uses email, which I imagine is most people who are capable of listening to a podcast, yeah, uh, reply all emails are can be, become very annoying. There are a lot of emails in this thread. So anyway, a few minutes ago, right when I jumped 56. on the call. It, I, I look, it is 56 total emails you've been copied on so far 56. in the past three days. I've gotten 56. 56 emails, none of which are relevant to anything that, you know, none of which pertain to me. And... Right when I jumped on the call here for us to start this podcast, um, just in that moment, another email came into my inbox in this thread that happened to be from Jason. So I thought, man, I'm going to crush it here. Um, So I replied (laughs) all to the list and I said, quote, Jason, cut this shit out. Take me off this email thread and get online so we can record the damn podcast. So, (laughs) And right when I sent it, and right when I sent it, (laughs) Jason logged on to the call. Jason logged on. <laughs> so it was so thank timing. you for heeding my wishes, even though it hadn't hit your inbox yet. I had hit sent before you uh, popped up in the conference call. So uh, thank so, you, Jason. So but actually, yeah, actually, the, the cool thing is this this type of pool, this tournament pool that we're doing, tells you a lot about what people think about who's going to win the tournament because what we're doing is a draft. We have eight players. And we each draft eight teams. It's a snake draft. And you get one point for every game your team wins. Um, and, and then there's, there's an amount of money involved. And, and whoever has the most points will get most of the money, second most points, that kind of thing. So, guys, the, the draft order has been really interesting. The ver- now, we are all Duke fans. But the very first pick was Virginia. The second pick was Duke. Then Villanova, North Carolina, Michigan, Michigan State. Now, I picked seventh out of eight people. 
with the number seven and then snaking around to the number 10 pick, I got Xavier and Kansas. I got two number one seeds with the seventh and 10th pick. And I think that tells you a little something about what people feel about Xavier and Kansas's chances of going a long way in this draft. Although everyone seems to think that I've had the best draft so far. But anyway, I think it's, I think it's really interesting that Duke fans, a bunch of Duke fans, when money was on the line, said they thought Virginia had the best chance to win. And also people just don't think much of Xavier and Kansas. Hey, Donald, have I introduced us to our conversation about the tournament? Yeah, I think you have. Um, as everybody knows, uh, yesterday the NCAA tournament bracket was released. Uh, we could talk a little bit about the show, but I really don't want to talk about the selection show because I thought it was terrible. Your number one overall seed, the Virginia Cavaliers. Villanova, Xavier, and Kansas drew the other number one seeds. But gentlemen, I want to start with Duke's Road first. Duke draws the number two seed in the Midwest region and will open up Thursday afternoon in Pittsburgh against the 15th seed Iona Gales. Also in their pod, seventh seed Rhode Island and 10th seed Oklahoma. If they make it through the first weekend, they would advance to Omaha for the Sweet 16. Sam, I'm going to kick it to you first. Talk about Duke's road to the Final Four and what you like, but I want to lead you with this question. Out of all that, what is the most surprising part of Duke's draw? I think the most surprising thing about Duke's bracket is how uh, is how sort of predictable it is because normally the NCAA is gonna like is gonna like throw something weird at you, um, but Duke's bracket actually makes a lot of sense. There was an interesting thing about how um, Duke ended up with arguably a more favorable bracket uh, location than UNC. Duke being in the Midwest and UNC getting sent all the way out west, even though their draw might be easier. But at the same time, UNC getting to go to Charlotte and Duke getting bumped off to Pittsburgh. Now, I know that um, this is actually I, either way that worked out was going to be fine for the Blue Devils, because as we've discussed before, um, the best thing for Duke in the first two rounds of the tournament is to not end up in UNC's region. And they they avoided that here because they're going to be in Pittsburgh, where I think the most hostile visiting uh, like other um, fan base is going to be Virginia Tech, who. Certainly, Virginia Tech fans don't like Duke, but I am not as scared of a of an environment where there are a smattering of Virginia Tech fans among Villanova fans and Duke fans and Alabama fans and all these other programs that don't really have much to do with the Blue Devils. So thank God for that. But I will say for, for Duke's road, it is very interesting because it, if they, provided they make it through the first game, and I know Jason has a few more thoughts on Iona, Duke could play Oklahoma in the second round, who has arguably the most interesting player in the country in Trey Young, even though Oklahoma hasn't been good recently. Um, the the matchup between Trey Young and Duke will, will obviously garner a lot of attention. If they win that game, presumably Michigan State looms in the Sweet 16. Obviously, this is a rematch of the Champions Classic game from back in November that I attended. And then if they make it to the Elite Eight, Kansas, who was also at the Champions Classic, who also has a lot of the same program weight that Duke has is waiting for them. The uh, the, the good thing for the Blue Devils, if they do make it that far and do get to play Kansas, is that um, Kansas big man Udoka Azubuke uh, has been limited by an injury since last week. So he's, he's had a, a ligament in his left knee that has been causing him some pain. He says he's the, the Kansas program is saying that he's going to play this weekend and he should be fine for the tournament, but that will be an interesting thing to watch. So I would say the most surprising thing is sort of the the lack of of surprising things in Duke's bracket because we always talk about how the committee doesn't 
try to make interesting matchups here, but clearly there there are some interesting ones in this bracket. I'm I'm surprised that so many of them lined up the way that uh, the way that they potentially do for Duke. Um, but overall, I don't think we're unhappy as Duke fans with this draw. There are tough teams in it. Michigan State, I think, being the real standout among all three seeds. I think they maybe had the best resume. Um, so that that's a tough game for Duke, but it's a good challenge. I don't think Duke got thrown any teams that really were like underseeded. Um, there are some other points in the bracket, and we'll get to those, where I think some teams really did potentially get hosed with with high seeds having to play lower seeds that are at some kind of advantage. So uh, I want to give it over to Jason, though, because I think that he's got more to say about that first round matchup against Iona with the blanket warning, of course, to Duke fans. We know that two seeds, uh, Duke as a two seed against a 15 seed is not a guaranteed win. So I, I want to make sure we, we spend a little bit of time on the Gales. So Jason, what do you what do you know about Iona? I know that you've gotten to look at them uh, last night and a little bit today. So I've got a lot to say about uh, Iona. I have looked at them, and, and you're correct that a two versus fifteen does not shape up as uh, as a match that's going to be super competitive. And, and let's be honest, uh, Las Vegas um, has, has any point favorite in this game. Um, one of the difficult things I think when you're facing a team like Iona is is comparing that you know a small conference team. Um, it's comparing them to the kind of opponents that Duke has played throughout the rest of the year. It's just, it's really hard to to gauge some of these teams that, I, I mean, Iona, basically, they, they only played two teams that are major conference teams that you can, that, that are at all even remotely similar to Duke. They played Syracuse and they played St. John's, two teams that Duke also played. And they lost to Syracuse by nine. They lost to St. John's by 10. So they were reasonably competitive in both those games. But I mean, let's be honest, even though St. John's pulled off a wonderful upset over Duke, um, Syracuse and St. John's aren't the quality of Duke. Uh, You know, St. John's didn't even make the tournament. Syracuse is one of the last teams in. And here's Duke is one of the top, you know, six teams in the in the tournament. So uh, so the only thing we have to go on from Iona in terms of how they perform against this caliber of team is about a 10 point loss to to teams that are worse than Duke. Not a lot worse, but are worse. So to tell you a little bit more about Iona, um, uh, they play at a really fast pace. They they like to push the tempo. They're a pretty good offensive team. Um, Ken Pomeroy rates them the 80th best offensive team in the country, but they are terrible on defense. This is a really bad defensive team. And if defense wins championships, these guys don't believe in that because they don't play D at all. Pomeroy rates them the 212th, 212th best defensive team in the country. Um, and, and look, these guys, they lost games to bad. They lost games to Siena, to Coastal Carolina, to Monmouth, to Niagara, and to Fairfield. Do you know what that Motley crew has in common? Those six teams, sorry, those five teams are all among the bottom half of all teams in Division I. At Duke, we flip out when we lose a game to a team that's like, you know, 70th or 80th best in the country. Well, Iona made a habit out of losing to teams that were the 180th, 200, 250th best team in the country. That's that's really bad. That Jason, said, yeah, yeah. Oh, so sorry. Continue the thought, and then I have a question to follow it. Because <laughs> that said, these guys do know what they're doing. They won't be overwhelmed by being in the dance. They have now made the tournament three years in a row, and let me tell you, that is not easy to do from a small conference like like the the MAC that they're in. 
Um, two years ago, they lost to Oregon by 16. Last year, I'm sorry, last year they lost to Oregon by 16. Two years ago, they lost to Iowa State by 13. Now, 16 and 13, it's not like they were blown out. It's not like they were destroyed. And then we have those Syracuse and St. John's games from this year where they were 10 points. So, you know, I look at the, you know, the Vegas line of 20 points and I go, you know what? I think Iona might be 20 points. You know, they that that might be a decent bet. Um, but the big problem they're going to have is rebounding. It's size. Iona's front line is only like six, 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 seven, six, eight. That's the the the, the biggest guys they're playing are are in that kind of range. And and as you know, Duke has guards that are that size. And Iona is a really bad rebounding team. They are 286th in the country in defensive rebounding. 286th in defensive rebounding. That says to me that Duke is going to own the offensive boards. You're going to see Wendell Carter and Marvin Bagley and Marquise Bolden and Javin Delorier offensive rebounding. Um, in terms of what Iona can hope to succeed at, they shoot a lot of threes. About 40% of the shots they take are three-pointers. They have five different guys who've attempted more than 130 threes on the season. So they, they hoisted up a lot. They hit about 38% of their threes, which is you know pretty good. But Duke's zone defense lately, Duke has improved so much on defense. And, and the, one of the big improvements we've made is that the length we have on that zone D allows us to really contest three-point shots. No one, I mean no one, has shot well from three against Duke. The way to beat the Duke defense is to get in the middle of that, of that zone and get short jumpers and stuff like that or, or pass in on the interior and get close to the basket shots. It's not shooting over that zone, and yet that's the kind of thing Iona is going to do. So I, I've given you... I, I could mention the specific guys. that Their best player is a guy named Ricky McGill. He's their leading scorer. He's their third leading rebounder. He's their leading assist guy. Ricky McGill, everything runs through Ricky McGill. Um, but the reality is what you need to know about Iona is they're going to try and shoot a lot of threes. That shouldn't work very well against Duke. And they are lousy, lousy, lousy on the boards. And that is Duke's strong point. So I, I think I think they set up as a team. They're, they're sort of perfectly suited they, their, their weaknesses play into Duke's strengths. Their strengths play into Duke's strengths. I, I, I think it's, I think it's, a, a, I feel really good about this matchup. I think it sounds like Duke is going to be extending that zone pretty far. We saw a little bit of that against Carolina and some of the other recent games where um, when Duke knows that the other team has shooters, they'll, they're happy to bring one or even two of the guys who are in the forward positions in the zone up um, to to contest, you know the 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 corner threes or um, or or the one sort of at the top of the key a little bit better. Um, so maybe look for that against against Iona if they're if they are really just uh, relying on the three point shot, especially because if they're not that big, Duke can leave one big man, say Wendell Carter or Marquise Bolden, down low to collect all of the defensive rebounds. And then yeah, on the on the offensive end, um, it sounds like Jason. It, that the that the big men are gonna are gonna be able to hopefully have their way with with the Gales front line. Um, do you expect? And I, I I don't know if this is even a fair question for you. Do you expect Duke's big men to have a bigger offensive day, or do you expect the shooters to be um, the, for Duke, like say Gary Trent or Grayson Allen, to have more success because the Gales are going to be so focused on Duke down low and trying to overcome that limitation? Who do you think? on Duke is going to have sort of the best offensive performance and, and luck, I guess, against the Gales. 
I mean, I, I think it'll be the big men just because I, I agree that that Iona is likely to pack it in a little bit, that they're likely to say, okay, let's see if Trent and Allen can beat us from the perimeter. Um, that That's probably their only hope that Duke shoots over them a lot and doesn't hit shots. But or that Duke we've... maybe turns it over a lot, right? Yeah, potentially. Although I, Iona is not a team that that is really great at getting steals and, and great at forcing teams into turnovers. Um, but, but I think that even if Duke is shooting over Iona to some extent, um, our rebounding advantage is so big on them. I, I mean, I, when I looked it up and I saw that they were 286th in the country, there are only 350 teams. They're in the bottom third of all teams in the country at defensive rebounding. And, and Duke's, I think we're the number two offensive rebounding team in the country. I mean, come on. It's just, it, it, it doesn't matter what they do. Our big men are going to get the ball down low and they're going, they're probably going to be really successful. I will, I will be a little surprised if Duke doesn't have eight to 10 slam dunks in this game. I like that. I like slam dunks. I love dunks. Gentlemen, we've talked about uh, the Duke draw a little bit. I want to kind of expand and look at the bracket as a whole. I want to start with this little nugget. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the the selection show yesterday, but there was a really cool moment uh, when they – the only cool thing about the format that they did, if you guys out there did not see it, what they did was they first announced all the teams that had made the tournament in alphabetical order and then announced the bracket of where everybody was going. A lot of people trash this. I thought it was terrible. You know, we're the type of people say, give me the bracket. Give it to me now. That's what we want. We don't really care in alphabetical order what these teams are. But there was You're a talk cool about moment. Danny Hurley. You're going to talk about Danny Hurley, aren't you? I'm talking about Danny Hurley. Danny Hurley. What a great moment. What a great The coach moment. of Rhode Island. Uh, they were announcing the teams in alphabetical order, and they announced Arizona State, which is coached by Bobby Hurley. Dan Hurley literally shrieked. He, he flipped out and was – Obviously, so happy for his brother and his brother's program uh, for sneaking in. Uh, they got into the first four, uh, so they they have to do a play-in game uh, this week. But I thought well, it was well, a really hang, cool hang moment. On. Wait, wait. Do, do you know why Danny Hurley was so freaked out about Arizona State making the tournament? Oh, because they probably shouldn't have. No, 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 no. There's an even better reason. Because Rhode Island, who was safely in the tournament, was playing Davidson for the championship of the Atlantic 10. And everyone just assumed Rhode Island was going to win. And they got upset. They got upset by Davidson. And as a result, the, someone on the bubble had the bubble burst for them. That Davidson made the tournament. Davidson was not going to make the tournament if they didn't win that game. They're a 12 seed. They would not have made the tournament if they hadn't beaten Rhode Island. So, and, and this happened on Sunday afternoon. So when Rhode Island lost that game, there were a lot of people who were saying, oh, my God, Danny Hurley's team losing may have just boosted or, or booted, I should say, Bobby Hurley's team from the tournament. I am certain that Danny Hurley was thinking to himself, oh my gosh, I may have just cost my brother a shot at the tournament. And so when he saw that Arizona State made it, the relief, I mean, he yes, he shrieks, but then he sort of doubles over and you can yeah. see, he, he looked like he was probably crying tears of joy because he thought he might have cost his brother a spot in the tournament. You know who he actually cost a spot in the tournament? Notre Middle Dame. Tennessee State. No, no, Notre Dame. They said Notre Dame was the next team, and Notre Dame didn't make the tournament because Rhode Island lost to Davidson. Also, I I, I kind of like coupled in that reaction, uh, Danny Hurley's players are kind of looking at him like, why is this man flipping out on national TV? He hasn't covered <laughs> him yet. Uh, so they're all – you could see how they were at first very confused about why he 
was flipping out. And then they re- realized, you know, what team they had just called. And you can see a lot of the players were, were happy for uh, for Bobby Hurley in Arizona State. But it's funny. They are paired in the same kind of region, and they could meet in the Sweet 16. Now, it's highly unlikely because that would mean that Duke has to lose along the way. And obviously, we do not want that. But I thought that was a really cool moment. Um, but also, the one thing I want to talk about with regards to this bracket, I think the one thing that we find out on Selection Sunday every year is that all the little details – that were focused on in the last couple of weeks of the regular season with regards to bracketology and looking at Jerry Palm and, and uh, Lenardi and all these guys and what they're predicting is that in the end, we are just as good at predicting this as they are. Uh, and we should probably have their jobs because even as late as four o'clock, I was looking online and seeing that we were supposed to be placed. It was basically the, the general consensus was we were going to be placed in Nashville or Charlotte, depending on who won the Duke UNC game on Friday night. So as as late as four o'clock, my friend who works in the ticket office for the Bridgestone Center said that Duke was coming to Nashville. So I don't know what happened in the last in the, in the two hours after that, but it just shows you that like even as late as that, you had people who were being told that Duke was going to Nashville and we end up in Pittsburgh. So I thought that was, it wasn't surprising to end up in Pittsburgh, but it was surprising at how late these kind of twists and angles go. And it's all because anyone can really do say what they want, but when it gets down to it, no one knows except for those guys in that room making these selections. Uh, and, and when they are released to the world, we really don't know what's going on, but I thought it was a pretty good draw. There's a, there's a couple teams in here that uh, are interesting. There's a couple of regions that are interesting, but I want to get your take on it. Jason, what, what region do you think, or, or what team do you think has the easiest cakewalk to San Antonio? I mean, there, there are no easy cakewalks. I don't think I, I, I have, I, I really like Villanova's draw. I, I'm, I don't see a lot of teams in that draw. They're going to give them a lot of trouble. Um, uh, and I think that in Purdue, they got the, the weakest of the two seeds, um, I think it sets up really nicely for Villanova to, to make it back. But I mean, you know, it, there's no such thing as an easy draw. The South and the Midwest to me are the two toughest brackets. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, Virginia is a great team and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. I, I'm going to be pick, picking Virginia to make the final four. But um, that is a really difficult bracket, and there are a lot of teams in there that could give Virginia a lot of trouble. Um, uh, the the Kentucky-Arizona game, um, Virginia's going to have to play either Kentucky or Arizona in the Sweet 16. You know, oh my gosh, uh, both those teams, Kentucky just won the SEC really impressively. Arizona just won the Pac-12 really impressively. Arizona looks like a different team um, versus how they looked about two or three weeks ago. It's, it's almost like, um, you know, the, the whole FBI thing came down on them like a ton of bricks and they shrugged it off and said, no, we are men and we are going out there and beating the crap out of teams because that's what Arizona's been doing since it happened. Um, and, and I feel sorry for Virginia to be the number one overall seed and get Kentucky and Arizona, uh, as their, uh, you know, as their four and five seeds, look at the other four and five seeds, Wichita state and West Virginia are what Villanova has. I'm sorry, Kentucky and Arizona way, way better than that. Hold on, Jason. Auburn, I want to, I do want to contend that because both Wichita and West Virginia are experienced and talented. And I think that you are underselling the ability of either of those teams to knock off Villanova. Um, even though uh, I would say, especially West Virginia, given that um, the, those that games 
in Boston will not be a noticeable um, home court advantage for Villanova if if they're playing West Virginia. The fan bases are are both located a, a lot of them in the Northeast, and um, and we know that that Wichita um, has has a, a really great coach and often is uh, is competitive in the tournament. I think you're underselling that Villanova might have a hard first you know couple games in the tournament you know aside from their their opening round game but they have to play um potentially Colin Sexton in the second game and uh and then and then a West Virginia team that that is capable of taking down good teams in uh potentially in the sweet 16 however uh, look i, I want to be clear I, yeah. I, you know i'm not look, look all the four and f- the four and fives are good they're good teams i'm just saying i think that Arizona and Kentucky are a step ahead of the other four and five seeds and, and I, I think, I think I, Virginia I, got got hosed a little bit, um, uh, you know, in terms of having a really tough Sweet 16 matchup. I will say, for in in Virginia's area, I, I do agree with that. They do only have to play one of Arizona or Kentucky. It would be especially annoying, I think, for them if they if that team ends up being Kentucky because the game would be in Atlanta in 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 your backyard and and, and Kentucky and, fans and you travel, know, they travel, travel you know how well Kentucky fans travel I don't know if there will be so many Kentucky fans that it'll be like Rupp Arena in Boise but I guarantee you if they make it to the sweet 16 the Virginia Kentucky game will be overwhelmingly uh, big blue nation so that that would be really tough. I, for Arizona, it's, it's a little bit less so because that's really far for their fan base to travel, and um, and it means they'd have to deal with that time change. Although Kentucky's going to have to deal with that um, in the first weekend in Boise. Um, but yeah, if, if it if it comes to that, that that would be a tough draw for Virginia. I totally agree with you. It's nice that they only have to play one of those teams, not both of them. Okay, guys, we have a couple. Hey, I have hey, a couple. You know, I, go ahead. No, I was going to say we haven't talked at all about the West. We haven't mentioned Carolina's bracket one bit. Oh, you and mean it, Carolina's hey, Donald, super we, are, easy are, are bracket? We, when I asked you who had the cakewalk to San Antonio, I was thinking you were going to lead with the West, but apparently yeah. you didn't. Well, <laughs> I, I'm I'm not I'm not because I don't think Carolina's making the Final Four. So, uh, are we about to do Final Four picks? Is that where we are? We no, can, we're going to get to that I, quickly. I, we're going to get to that in a minute. I want to ask. Wanna, a I want to talk question. about the West. Go ahead, talk about the West. Sure. So um, Xavier is the is the number one seed in the West. I think everybody knows that Xavier was was right right there in contention for the one seed. They ended up with I think the last number one seed, and so they have and, and as a reward they get to go to Los Angeles for their Sweet Sixteen and Elite Eight matchups if they if they make it that far to then potentially play Carolina, who also has to play Michigan potentially in the Sweet Sixteen. It's a lot of teams who have to travel a really far distance. The one team that is um, that is out west that is, I think is really competitive and obviously has the pedigree for making the Final Four is Gonzaga, and uh, Gonzaga will have to contend with with Xavier in the Sweet Sixteen potentially, but you could see a rematch and Jason, maybe this is where you're going. I, I, I think that there are a couple places for Carolina to stumble. The first, uh, like the most prominent of which is having to play Gonzaga potentially in the elite eight, because it's a rematch of last year's national championship game. Gonzaga, obviously looking for a little revenge factor there. I though would not discount the, uh, Donald's Michigan Wolverines who just had a well, really stellar run why, through the big 10 yeah. tournament. And that's, that's going to have to be their sweet practice. 16. Yeah. Tell me about, tell me about Michigan, Jason. Michigan is playing really well right now. (laughs) They just won the big 10. 
Um, they they seem to be having a they have a really good combination of inside outside kind of game. I know Donald follows them more than I do, but it they feel like a team that's peaking at the right time of year. I'm a little surprised they got all the way up to a number three seed. I thought they might be a four. If they'd been a four, they probably would have been the best of the four. So making them a three certainly you know sounds good to me. But um, I, I I think Michigan's the team that's going to come out of that bracket. It's funny that you mentioned that because we were going to get into that. But I have a quick question, and you just got to give me a quick answer for both of you. The question is, who do you think is the your sleeper pick to make the Sweet 16? We're not talking Final Four yet. Sweet 16, give me a sleeper pick, Sam. I've got two of them that I wrote down. The first being New Mexico State, who has to go through – I would say underwhelming Clemson and Auburn teams, potentially those that would be like the, the chalk way for them through. Um, so New Mexico state being one of them. And then the other one to look out for um, is Missouri who got Michael Porter jr. Back for one game in the sec tournament. They have to beat Florida state in their opening round game. We know that Florida state has been kind of up and down this year in the ACC. And then Missouri gets a shot at the worst number one seed in Xavier in, uh, in, in the, round of 32. So we don't, we didn't really get a sense, I think for how good Michael Porter could be. He only played okay, I guess in his one sec tournament game before Missouri lost, but him being back on the court for them is kind of like the way we've talked about Bonzi Colson for so many weeks where we're wondering if Notre Dame is going to get him back. Ultimately, they probably didn't get him back early enough to make a difference for getting into the tournament. Missouri is not really in that situation because they made it in. And so Michael Porter, any minute now, could turn into presumed top five pick Michael Porter that we expected him to be a year ago coming into this class. He was right up there with with Marvin Bagley and DeAndre Ayton as like the stars of of the high school class of 2017. So I would look for Michael Porter and, and Missouri to be an interesting Sweet 16 pick to beat Xavier. I think that the team you mentioned Missouri, and I agree. Missouri is sort of uh, is one of the teams that I've definitely got my eye on that I think has a really good chance of, um, uh, you know, of making waves in this tournament. I, I think Florida State will be relatively easy for Missouri. I think Florida State is not playing good basketball right now, and, and they definitely have a chance against Xavier. But the the other team I want to highlight is Nevada. Um, they have Texas first. Texas is playing pretty good. But I, I like Nevada's chance against Texas, um, and then they were pro- presumably will face Cincinnati, and I really like their chances against Cincinnati. Cincinnati's a very experienced and very good defensive team, but this Nevada club, um, I, I, I think I've, I, I forget if I've mentioned them here, if I've mentioned them to friends or whatever it may be, but um, the two of the best players on Nevada are Caleb and Cody Martin, who played for NC State a couple of years ago. They are transfers. Um, the Nevada Wolfpack is full of guys who are transfers. And uh, transfers from major college programs, from big conferences, from places like the ACC and the Big Ten. And, and so you think of Nevada and you go, oh, Mountain West, small-time team, but it's a team full of guys who've played on a big stage um, at, a, at a big major level. And they're all, because they're transfers, they're a year older than you would expect. They're all like 22, 23, 24 years old. I really like the Nevada Wolfpack to make some waves out of the South. And I definitely think they have a chance to make the Sweet 16. Donald, who's your sleeper? Well, it's funny that you mentioned Nevada because my sleeper is Texas. Uh, I think they've been playing pretty well right now. And never underestimate a team that's playing for someone else or for something else. They are playing for their you know teammate who is sidetracked. Uh, he has leukemia. So they've been playing with him for him all year. 
and this sort of angle in the tournament, you know, you got Mo Bamba, who is, you know, by all accounts, one of the one of the better top big men in the country uh, as, as a freshman. And if you're playing for something bigger than yourself, that can carry you a long way. And I think they have the tools. They have the three-point shooting, if it's on, to beat Nevada and to beat Cincinnati and make it to the Sweet 16. So that's the team that I was going with. So, Jason, one of us is going to be right and one of us is going to be wrong. Except that I think that neither of those teams is getting by a Cincinnati squad that if Virginia was not so epically the greatest defensive team of all time, we'd be talking about way more because Cincinnati locks down on defense, not exactly to the degree that UVA does, but to some of that degree, they play, you know, in an arguably power conference in, um, you know, like sort of just below the power five and they, and they don't lose, uh, they don't lose to bad teams uh, or teams that are, that are sort of ranked below them. They, they lose to, they've lost a, a few games to good teams, but um, I think that Cincinnati actually is going to beat whichever of <laughs> Texas and Nevada comes out of what should be a very good first round seven, 10 game. But um, so there we go. There's stuff we're disagreeing with. And I actually take it for some, from some context clues that you guys have dropped that our final fours are going to have a fair amount of overlap. Wait, hang on, Sam. We we did talk for five minutes about how Nevada or Texas was going to get this piece of team. You just trashed it in like thirty seconds, man. How you could do that? <laughs> I'm just listen. This is this is what I know. <laughs> okay, gentlemen. Moment of truth. It is time for us to make our final four picks. And for the world out there, for these picks, we reserve the right to change our minds after this recording, and we certainly reserve the right to be wrong. So, Jason, you go first. So I'm going to lead this off by telling you guys some statistics because, hey, I'm Mr. Stats. Um, did you know that number one seeds since 1985, when the field expanded to 64 teams, number one seeds have made the final four 40% of the time, 40.9% of the time. Number two seeds make the final four 21% of the time. So if you're picking something other than a one or a two, you're going out on the limb a little bit. Threes and fours make it about 7 or 8% of the time. And after that, no one makes it more than about 3%. So the number ones and the number twos should, you know, everyone likes to go, oh, I'm picking this long shot. Guys, I got news for you. The number ones and the number twos are the teams that always make the final four. So from the south, I think Virginia is going. From the east, I think Villanova is going. From the midwest, I'm taking my Duke Blue Devils. So that's two ones and a two. And then from the West, I'm taking Michigan, one, three, two ones, a two and a three. It may sound like chalk. It may sound boring, but I got Virginia, Villanova, Duke and Michigan. Uh, Sam, before I get to you, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that I have the exact same final four pick. <laughs> I love it. I love Thanks it. for looking at my notes, Jason. <laughs> Sam, what do you got? Is it different? Well, almost, <laughs> almost <laughs> as I feared. Uh, I have three of the same picks that you guys do. Virginia, so Villanova, still, and Duke, right? You got Virginia, I, Villanova, and Duke. No, I don't have Villanova. So I've got Duke, Virginia, and Michigan. And I was talking earlier. I, I previewed this a bit. I was talking earlier about how Villanova could have some rough games in the first couple weeks. And I see Wichita State um, breaking back into the Final Four and upsetting Villanova. So that's going to be my one. Great pick. That's, That's going to be my one pretty weird one. I, I know that West, uh, excuse me, Wichita has moved up in conference affiliation this year, which has forced them to go on the road to the East Coast a lot. They are comfortable doing it now, and I see them. Um, it's going to be a really tough two-game stretch for them, having to beat West Virginia and then having to beat Villanova. 
but uh, I think they can do it. I think they can take out Purdue. I see Wichita State going to the Final Four, and I will take my Final Four picks and use them as an opportunity to ask you guys. So I, I, I posed a question to you earlier that I wanted you to think about, and I'm going to, I guess, introduce it here. Um, now that you see the whole bracket and we've made our final four picks and we all think that Duke is going to the final four and knowing about Duke's expectations at the beginning of the season coming in as like the top ranked team, they have Marvin Bagley, they have Wendell Carter, they have senior Grayson Allen, all these things. Duke was expected to do great things. Now that we see the bracket, how far do you think Duke needs to make it this year to have the season be considered a success for the program. And I want, before you answer the question, to kind of look back at the last three years, the three years that we have done the podcast, um, and point out that um, I would say, and I think you guys would agree with me, that in two of those three years, Duke had what we would consider successful seasons. Obviously, they won the championship in 2015. In 2016, they lost to Oregon in the Sweet 16, but that was sort of according to seed. That team was often undermanned um, and and was really playing like in over their heads for a lot of the season. So I think that Duke fans aren't really bummed out about 2016. 2017, I think we we all agree was a, a failure because they lost in the second round as a two seed to a seven, even though that South Carolina team made the Final Four. Um, I think a lot of folks expected Duke to go farther with Jason Tatum and Harry Giles and, and junior Grayson Allen coming off an All-American season. So knowing that Duke has has been successful, I would say, two of the last three seasons, I'll give it to Donald first. What, How far does Duke need to go for this to have been a successful season for the Blue Devils? So I, I guarantee you my answer is going to get a lot of shockwaves. Uh, but honestly, I think making the Sweet 16 is a success. When you look at the the history of programs and how many teams make a Sweet 16 and, and consider that a success, I think with this team, I think with this bracket, and of course I'm picking us to go all the way, but if we get to the Sweet 16 after that, in my opinion, you're playing with house money. You, you want to get to, if you're getting to the Final Four, the best team every year is the team that gets hot in March and, and is hot at the right time. It's about timing. There's a lot of things that have to fall into place. Sometimes you have a little luck and you can't always have that every year, but I think getting to the sweet 16 is a step that we can say, Hey, look, as a program, we haven't taken a step back that with, you know, this heralded lineup that we've uh, been talking about all year, that these guys had some success. And I think, you know, getting to the Sweet 16 for me would be a success. I know for some people we probably we'd probably want to get further, but I think you know when you're looking at this, only 16 teams get to say that they made Sweet 16. If we're one of them, I think we're in great shape. Jason, do you I, have I an answer to, that is more aggressive than Donald's? I mean, yeah, I, I hate to disagree with you. Let me before I answer, I I, I do want to say that I I hate this notion of success. You go, oh, what would it take to have a successful season? We're in a one and done tournament. It's the most random way of picking a champion of any big sporting event that there is um, because results are so random. Um, it's not like the NFL where the best teams tend to, to beat, you know, the better team tends to win a football game more than the better team tends to win a basketball game um, because there's such a variation of, you know, oh, we were hot or oh, we were cold or whatever else it may be. Uh, so 
I, 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 I don't want to talk about it in terms of what would be a successful season for these guys. They, they won the PK-80 um, earlier this year in incredibly dramatic fashion. There are a number of games we had this season where I just took such joy watching the game and enjoying watching these kids play basketball at a high level. Look, when Marvin Bagley went down the way some other guys stepped up, uh, the, the second game against Carolina, that second half comeback, there are, there are tons of moments. Uh, the, the, the final few minutes against Miami when we made that big so terribly for a little while. Sam, you brought up Zombie Duke earlier this year. And, and just that brings a smile to my face thinking about zombie, the Zombie Duke team that, that dominates games and, and just destroys teams. So, you know, they could lose to Iona and there were still wonderful, wonderful moments this season that I enjoyed. All that said, these guys need to make the Final Four. They're that good. Marvin Bagley is the best freshman to ever put on a Duke uniform. I'm going to talk more about that later. But he's the best freshman to ever put on a Duke uniform. Wendell Carter, if not for Marvin Bagley, would be among the top two or three big men in Duke freshman history. This is a great team. This is a team that was ranked number one for a reason. I look at our bracket. There's no one in this bracket that Duke doesn't beat 65, 70% of the time. Does that mean we're going to make the final four? I don't know. But if we don't make the final four, I'll be a little bit disappointed because I think we had the talent to get there. Sam, what do you think? I agree with you, and I am surprised that Donald I, – I, I, I like Donald's answer. I'm, I'm surprised that it was that low. I think that given the talent of this team and given the way that we have seen them play when they are at their peak, games against Michigan State or games against uh, UNC at the end of the season – this Duke team should be able to get to the Final Four and should be one of the very best teams in the country as they were predicted to be. I think that, I guess, their, their tournament, um, looking back at the tournament, will kind of be a failure if they if they don't make the Final Four. I expect it. I don't often say that, I think, about Duke teams. Even if they are like a one seed or a two seed, this team is that talented. And um, and they're, I, I will give Duke fans a little bit of... Uh, ability or, or feeling of entitlement for this team because they're that good. And and I don't like doing that, but I think that th this team is capable of that. Um, so I'm going to consider this tournament for them not to be a success unless they make the final four. And honestly, depending on who they face in that final four, they need to make the national championship game. Um, Cause I think more of the good teams are on the other side of the bracket than, than on the right side where Duke is. So um I thought it was an interesting question because there are there there tend to be different takes about about what it means for these teams, especially as you said, Jason. It's a one and done tournament; anything can happen. And some years Duke overperforms, not often because Duke is often a, a high seed, but oft uh, you know sometimes Duke really underperforms, and everyone's like, "Oh, the whole season was a failure." And it's like, well, all those other things, like you talked about, there's there's the great regular season games, there's the early season. Um, out of conference tournaments, all that kind of stuff that, that all leads to our overall impression of the players. Like, you know, Tyler Thornton never made a final four, but everyone remembers him hitting a, a big three pointer against Kansas in Maui. Those things matter to us. Those things matter to those guys' legacies. But um, it is interesting to look at the tournament as kind of the, the, the biggest mark on players like Grayson Allen and Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter, how we remember them years and years down the road.
Okay, folks out there, you've heard us talk about it, and now you can get in on the action too. We have our DBR Bracket Challenge. We've already posted it already on the DBR forums. It is once again set up through Yahoo. Uh, the link for that is tinyurl.com slash Podcast. Now, we've hinted on the forums that there was going to be a special prize. This year, the winner of the DBR Bracket Challenge will receive the opportunity to be on this podcast with us, where you'll get to talk about Duke basketball with us on whatever topic or whatever topic that you choose. Obviously, that's going to occur after the season's over, but you will have a chance to talk with us. So hopefully that encourages you to sign up. Tinyurl.com slash DBR podcast register. Of course, we're going to post it again in the forums. Do not delay. Signups end on Thursday, right before the first game. So get your picks in, guys. Today's podcast is brought to you by Jamie Campbell and Tucker Bird, both diehard Duke followers, Duke Class of 78 alums, and the founders of Bird Campbell PA, a Duke-centric business law firm with offices in Dallas, Orlando, and the Gulf Coast. Reach out to them at birdcampbell.com. That's B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. And as always, thank you, Bird Campbell, for your support of the DBR podcast. All right, guys, before we wrap up, I guess we should discuss the ACC tournament that happened last week in Brooklyn. Uh, the Blue Devils were the two seed in the tournament and started out on Thursday playing 10 seed Notre Dame. They eventually won that game fairly handily, 88-70. On Friday night, we played UNC in the semifinals. UNC was the sixth seed, and ultimately, after a completely frustrating game where we tried to catch up at the end, we individually lost that game 73-69. Uh, Sam, why don't you start? Give us your brief takeaways of the ACC tournament and our performance. Well, I'm glad that Duke took care of business against Notre Dame and Bonzi Colson because the performance against UNC was uneven, to, to put it mildly. There were a lot of turnovers, and um, Duke uncharacteristically, um, I guess, though, maybe not so much because they were playing UNC, but but even so gave up a ton of second chance points. They gave up 18 offensive rebounds um, and uh, UNC took 71 shots. I'm going to let Jason go <laughs> angrier, I guess, on the on the field goal attempts because he loves talking about field goal attempts. Oh my but God. It, oh my it God. Was, it was it was it was a very weird game for the Blue Devils. The one, I guess, you know, thing they can take away that was good is that towards the end of the game, they really locked it down and went on a run and, and nearly won the game. And then before I give it over to Jason, I just, ugh, I guess we have to talk a little bit about this monstrously stupid new Grayson Allen controversy where apparently he intentionally fouled Garrison Brooks, who was the last guy down the floor during a fast break. I mean, of all the stupid Grayson Allen controversies, this one is the stupidest. And it, 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 it was sort of a, um, a, a perfect opportunity because he's he is kind of like falling over and also like gaining his balance and Brooks is running behind him and everybody knows that Allen has this reputation and then because the refs don't see it real time because again it happened really far away from the actual play that was about to end um, because it the refs didn't call it real time as a foul they went to the monitor because somebody was down on the ground and they had to either call no foul which it wasn't or they had to call an intentional foul. They can't call a common foul on the on the on the the review. 
So they call an intentional foul because I guess that's what they have to do. And somehow the whole sequence leads to Carolina getting the basket that they got during the play and getting two foul shots and getting the ball back. And with how close this game was, that you could point to, among a number of other things, as being the one big thing that that turned this game in Carolina's favor. And it stinks for Grayson because I don't of all of all like I said of all of his stupid controversies I think this one was the one that was sort of the least his fault. It's especially upsetting that the national sports media outlets like ESPN and Sports Illustrated had to just run with the thing like crazy and turn you know even the smallest Grayson Allen thing into a whole thing. Um, and I will close by saying on the Grayson Allen thing, I love his intensity. I love the way he plays the game. I am, I am kind of ready for him to graduate so that we just don't have to deal with this stuff anymore because it unnecessarily takes away from all of the positives of being a Duke fan and watching this team every week. Can I, can I, let me, let me. Okay, here we go. Look guys, people out there world, Grayson Allen, you guys are Literally, if you watch the broadcast, the announcers, all the announcers were like, that's not a foul. That's not even a common foul. Seth Greenberg was adamant that it was not even a common foul, that they shouldn't have even looked at it. But what fans, college basketball fans around the country are trying to insinuate is that Grayson Allen's ass has a mind of its own and has eyes that can somehow pick out a guy behind him and trip him. With his ass. Now, wait, That's wait, wait. What hold, we're talking hold on, about, hold on, guys. Hold on. That's hold, what we're talking about. Hold on, I, because I want to be mean to Grayson, but I think Grayson did it intentionally. I don't think it's a foul. I don't think it's that wow. bad a thing. We all have we all have yeah. different takes on this little moment. <laughs> I think I think I think Grayson. It, uh, look on the replay. Your your butt doesn't stick out like that unless you intentionally stick it out. I think he was trying to get in the guy's way, which which is not a big deal. People do that on picks all the time. People do it during the games constantly. People do little things. They stick out their elbow a little bit more. They lean their shoulder a little bit more. They stick their butt out. It happens. You try and get in the way of the other guys. That's part of gaining an advantage through contact. That's wait, there's that's one, a there's, huge part of basketball. But there's one key so thing that you're forgetting I don't here. Think it's, it's not a foul, but I think Grayson did it intentionally. But it's not okay. a foul. So my question is this. If you look at the replay, how can he do it intentionally when his eyes are facing forward? He didn't yeah, see him. I, I, I don't know if I believe you, Jason. I think I'm in Donald's camp here. I think that the whole thing was, was unintentional and it just happened that way. And I, get, I guess I get calling a foul if you cause somebody else to trip, even if you weren't trying to to do that in the same way that like a moving screen often causes the defender to trip, even though you're not specifically trying to knock him over. Uh, look, I, I, I'll be honest. I haven't watched it like 30,000 times to try and decipher exactly what happened. I saw the replay a couple times, you know, while it was happening real time, I went, well, it looked to me like he did it intentionally. Again, I don't think it's a foul. And, and the bottom line is it's incredibly stupid because that, that, that it's a controversy. It's only a controversy because people think Grayson Allen is like the mad tripper. Um, you know, he's like some super villain or something like that. It's crazy. It's silly. It's stupid. He gets called for stuff that no one else would get called for. Um, 
but uh, it, it's a distraction from the game. It's a distraction from the fact that that Duke did a terrible job of taking care of the ball. They did a terrible job of um, uh, of getting the kind of shots that they wanted. Um, uh, this was a game that Duke should have won. Um, North Carolina is really good, and full credit to the Tar Heels for playing well. And and Theo Pinson, thank God Theo Pinson's finally graduating because I think that guy's turning into one of the best players in the country. I thought Theo Pinson was amazing in this game, even though his stats don't necessarily show it. He it felt to me like Theo Pinson controlled the game more than anyone else out there. Um, he was fabulous in this contest. Um, but uh, Sam said it. I, I want to go back to what matters, which is that. Duke allowed Carolina scored 74 points against Duke. Duke allowed Carolina to take 71 shots, 71 shots. That's a ton of shots from the field. Of course they scored 74 points. The new look Duke defense shouldn't allow that kind of thing to happen. And they pierced our zone really well. They killed us on the offensive boards. And as a result, North Carolina won that game. And that's what matters. And, and uh, you know, as we look to the NCAA tournament, I'm going to look for Duke to be the defensive team and the rebounding team that we were for the previous few weeks, not the team that we were against North Carolina. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think it, I think it was frustrating in the sense that it seemed like every possession we could do everything wrong and every possession for UNC, they could do no wrong. I mean, Theo Pinson had that one, you know, assist where he, it, it was saved out of bounds. He was on the ground on his butt in front of the, underneath the goal, catches the ball, passes it to somebody who lays it in. Like it, that doesn't happen. Th those sort of quirky plays don't happen. But the one thing about it is it seemed like Duke just didn't find the rhythm on offense and on defense, they were letting UNC have everything at will. And, and I don't know what they, what they saw on tape that they, that allowed them to kind of have this game plan, but they executed it great, especially in the second half when they started to pull away. Uh, I think they let off the gas, which, you know, allowed us to creep back in. And, you know, obviously our guys were not quitting. Um, but I, I think in the end, UNC just, they had our number. And, and it seemed like it was so frustrating to watch because every time we're like, okay, we got to stop guys. All we got to do is just make a nice decision with the basketball we would throw the ball away or we would, you know, take an ill-advised shot or, you know, somebody would miss a, miss a layup. It, it was just, it was one of the more frustrating games to watch. And it just sucks that it was in the ACC tournament where I thought we had a pretty good chance of winning. Well, and Donald, I'm glad you mentioned the play where Pinson's on the floor and gets that assist because when the game ended, I said, I said to some friends of mine, um, I said, you know what? We can be frustrated and angry that we lost this game. But the, the truth is, the team that played smarter, the team that played harder, the team that got the loose balls, and the team that took care of the ball is the team that won that game. Now, I, you know, I hate, hate saying that Duke got out-hustled, out-desired, and outsmarted because those are things that Coach K spends all year teaching our guys to be the team that hustles more, that plays smarter, and executes better. But in this game... That was North Carolina. There's no question about it. And, and that, you know, that's like, like I said, Carolina deserved the win. Um, and the frustrating thing to me is that Duke didn't deserve to win. Man, how much would we love Theo Pinson if he was wearing a Duke uniform? Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. He'd also be the most hated player in the country. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, guys, we are going to end with player of the week nominations. And Jason, you get to go first. So obviously we talked mostly about the, the Tar Heel game, but before that game, Duke had a contest against Notre Dame. And against Notre Dame, Wendell Car- – uh, sorry, not Wendell Carter, <laughs> Marvin Bagley. Marvin Bagley against Notre Dame went for 33 points and 17 rebounds. 33 points and 17 rebounds. Now, against North Carolina, he had a pedestrian game, 19 points and 13 rebounds. How can we think that 19 points and 13 rebounds is pedestrian? Marvin Bagley is a force of nature. I wrote this on the boards, and I just want to repeat it now for folks on the podcast who maybe didn't read what I wrote on the boards. In the history of Duke basketball, going back, I don't know, what is it, 80 years, 100 years? In the history of Duke basketball, there have been five times that someone scored 30 points and got 15 rebounds. 30-15. A 30-15 game has only happened five times. Elton Brand never did it. Danny Ferry never did it. Carlos Boozer never did it. Mark Allery never did it. Shane Battier never did it. Jabari Parker never bit it, did it. Jalil Okafor never, never did it. I think I've named virtually every great big man in Duke history. Christian Leitner did it 30 and 15. Christian Leitner did it once, but I said there have been five times that someone at Duke has gotten a 30-15 game. Christian Leitner did it once. Marvin Bagley has now done it four times. Marvin Bagley is unquestionably the greatest freshman in Duke history. He's in the conversation as a freshman for the best single season in Duke history. I think, you know, Danny Ferry's senior year, J.J. Reddick's senior year, Shane Battier's senior year, Jason Williams' junior year, maybe. Elton Brand's Uh, sophomore year was pretty good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, but Bagley's in the conversation along with those guys. Johnny Dawkins' senior year was also pretty great. I don't think and, we are and none of us and none of us even reaching. remember like Art Heyman or, or Dick Grote, but yeah, regardless. Yes. But but my bottom line is if I say to you Marvin Bagley's season this year is up there with those guys, you're not going to go, you're crazy. You're going to go, yeah, yeah, he's in the conversation. Uh, so my player of the week is Marvin Bagley for putting up his fourth 30-15 game of the year. It's mind-boggling. And like I said on the boards, we're not really capable at this moment of appreciating what he's doing. In time, we will look back on this. We will understand how blessed we were to have this kid in uniform for us for one year. And by the way, I'll talk about all these things about greatest freshman, greatest freshman. He reclassified. He's technically a high school senior. Oh, my God. Marvin Bagley, player of the week. Sam, what are you going with? So I feel bad now that I didn't go with Marvin Bagley because I don't know that we've ever had such an impassioned discussion of player of the week in the three plus years on the show. However, <laughs> I I am going with Grayson Allen, who, um, to use Jason's terminology, had a pedestrian 23 points against Notre Dame on um, just 10 field goal attempts. So that's that's pretty damn good. He went five for six from three. And then um, I really had to give it to not a big man because of the performance against UNC and the rebounding. So um, Grayson Allen, I think among the guards, clearly the the most productive in the two games. He went four for 10 from three against North Carolina, which is the only respectable shooting uh, that anybody on the team had. 
Um, and like I said, couldn't be a, a big man because of the because of the poor rebounding. But Grayson kind of filled up the stat sheet against UNC. Um, I think played pretty hard, and and we know that he's out there trying to win. And also just because you know what, I'm just trolling everybody everybody out there who thinks that Grayson is the worst. Um, I had somebody this weekend who saw me wearing Duke apparel who yelled at me. Grayson Allen is the is everything that is wrong with college basketball. And I didn't have the heart to turn around and be like, man, do you know what's going on in college basketball these days? But regardless. Um, <laughs> right, right. So uh, in honor of that jerk, Grayson Allen, player of the week. Uh, I'm going to reward mediocrity. And for his mediocre 33 points and 17 boards against Notre Dame uh, and his mediocre 19 points and 13 boards against USC, I am going with, as Jason called the greatest Duke freshman ever, Marvin Bagley the third. Obviously, I'm joking, guys. It was not mediocre. He was awesome. And that is going to do it for episode <laughs> 111, episode 111 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Uh, recording note for you guys, uh, we will likely record on Thursday uh, sometime in the evening after Duke's first round game against Iona. So look for our next episode sometime on Friday morning. But for now, Thank you all so much for listening. For Sam Klein and Jason Evans, I'm Donald Wine. Dude, hey, wait, 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 wait. Before you sign off, before you sign off, don't forget Uh-oh. to sign up for the bracket challenge so that you can be on the show with us. Yeah. Because that, that yeah. is really cool. Just a, a reminder. What's the what's the URL again, Donald? The URL is tinyurl.com slash dbrpodcast. That's one word. We will post it in the forums. We've already had it on the forums, but we'll post it in the, in the, uh, in the thread that we have for this podcast. And we will obviously hammer the hell out of you guys to remind you to sign up. But for now, Duke Band, play us a sweet melody. It's March Madness.